Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall and on Instagram at Braden D. Gall. Are you an Insta dad now? I, I guess. I don't know. At 440 Media on Instagram as well. Really, that's the one I want you to follow, at 440 mm-hmm. Media. And I'm Adam Vingan on Twitter and Instagram at Adam Vingan. My Instagram is basically just pictures of my son. Yeah, which is cool. Which is cool. Uh, you're a new dad. That's all right. Um, all right, a lot of stuff to get to on the show today. Predators win back-to-back games. They are now three and four. We will talk about their top 10 power play, which means you need to start retiring gifs or gifs or whatever we, we call them on the internet these days. Uh, are they scoring and creating enough chances? Is it something that they can fix over the course of the season? We'll get into that. The stars are doing star-like things, which is good news. The young players are making some nice plays and making some mistakes. We'll just, we'll discuss that. We've got the sellout streak, of course, which is like melting people's brains uh, uh, in the city, in in the city of Nashville. Uh, So we'll get to all of that. Of course, a game against the Islanders and the Calgary flames coming up over the course of the next week weekend. Um, But Adam Bingham, before we do any of that, I hope you're ready to go here because the gold standard is brought to you by the gold standard is brought to you by Jaspers, where everybody who agreed with my Saints fandom take last week can enjoy excellent dining experience. Yeah, Stephen Godfrey went at you again on the podcast on Wednesday as well. What did Fringe, he say? Fringe Element podcast about SEC football. If you'd like to hear Stephen Godfrey rip on Adam Bingen's Saints fanhood. Um, what did he say? Uh, you have I to go it. listen. You have to go listen. I need I need to hear I need a little bit of a taste first. He, he heard everything you said last week on the show, and he basically and, then, just, and he basically just said it, all it did was made it 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 made it worse. I just it made it worse. I know, I know, I know. You guys need to hash it. We're gonna we're gonna have you get we're gonna have you guys on the same show. We're gonna have Steven on this show because he's an avid listener of the Gold Standard. He's a huge Predators fan, so he loves the show. We'll have him on and we'll have it out face to face. How about that? I mean, I think that's what's gonna have to happen. <laughs> no. We're not going to accomplish anything talking to each other through a podcast. Um, I feel right, like to- it's one of those situations where like two people are fighting. It's like that sitcom trope where two people are fighting and there's that one person who isn't fighting with either person. And it's like, it's like Braden. Will you tell Steven that I think <laughs> right. he's dumb? It's very high And then school. Steven goes, Braden, will you tell Adam like it's that's how I'm feeling right now. Right. Right. I, no, that's how I'm feeling right now. Uh, go to Jasper's. Go to Jasper's. The parking is free. It was a perfect spot for me to take my daughter on Saturday night. We were going down to a concert at the Ryman. Um, it, she she loves burgers and fries, but she also likes watching the Preds and wanted to watch Tennessee, Alabama as well. And so we we head down uh, about seven o'clock. We sit down in a booth. We got great sight lines. We watch Alabama, Tennessee. The Preds got destroyed by Winnipeg. And every she looks up and she goes, Dad, they have six. <laughs> and I was like, yes, that's not a good defensive performance by the Predators. But great burger, free parking, because if you're on a Saturday night going out somewhere in downtown Nashville, like just parking will be just an absolute pain in the ass. So uh, it was a wonderful evening, and she made it about 12 songs deep into Jason Isbell. So I'm super proud. And thank you, Jasper, for provide, providing us a wonderful place to go have a, a date, just me and my daughter. It was great. It was wonderful. So go to Jasper's, everybody. All right. Sound good? Are you excited about taking Arlo on dates in the, future? <laughs> in the future? Yes, I'm very excited to take Arlo to SummerSlam next summer. <laughs> what about Lollapalooza? Take it into Lollapalooza? 
Why would I go? Is it coming here? Uh, no, I don't. I don't know. You just strike me as a Lollapalooza guy. I'm not, I'm not a big fest guy. Okay, all right. Like like Bonnaroo never really appealed to me, or Coachella, or Lollapalooza. I'm I'm a one day festival guy. If you can, yeah, if I can go in and do the festival and then go home to my bed, I'm fine. Yeah, the the whole camping there yeah, 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 just yeah. does not appeal to me whatsoever. But as I said, very excited to learn earlier this week that WWE SummerSlam will be uh, coming to Nissan Stadium uh, next July. That's a big deal. Okay. It's and uh Arlo will be close to one year old at that point. So oh, you're maybe being serious. I, you're actually so maybe I can convince uh Bridget to let me take him uh, to SummerSlam. God Godspeed with that. All right. Let's get to the Nashville Predators. Uh they they win back to back games and I think some of the some of the, the things that I would take from their 5-2 win over Minnesota and the 3-1 win over San Jose, not only did it salvage sort of the beginning of the season, again, try not to overreact to a couple of games here. And the beauty of this show, what I love about doing this show with you, Adam, is that we get to look at the season in chunks. And I'm a wet blanket. <laughs> well, also that you are very cynical, and I also am cynical, and we see things in a very similarly cynical way. Um, I, I, I do think that the way they played against Minnesota coming off the loss to, to Winnipeg, sort of being in control of the game for a large period of time, two early power play goals, and the same thing happening on Tuesday night on, against San Jose where you get a, a very fast, quick score on a power play situation, and you sort of just are in control of those games, which allows your defense, which is playing very good hockey, to sort of settle in. UC Saros was brilliant. Of course, on Tuesday night again, he's playing extremely well. We'll get to Connor Ingram, but do you take anything from how they won? I don't want to say dominating fashion because that's not what it was, but that they were sort of in control the entire way, and that the power play was the reason they got those opportunities. Well, I look at I, I look at the, the the game against Winnipeg. You know, in the in the four game homestand to start the season, they scored a total of eight goals. And we talked about this um, last week about how this team is not built to win, you know, high scoring back and forth games um, they, that they that they need to rely on defense and great goaltending and be opportunistic on offense. And I think you were seeing that for the most part against the New York Rangers. I mean, they were playing solid defense. UC Saros was was excellent. And you want to talk about an opportunistic goal, Philip Tomasino scoring his first goal from behind the goal line on a bank shot off of Igor Shesterkin is as opportunistic as it gets. So it's been good. Well, I immediately tweeted. I was like, you know, chasing his own rebounds, winning face-offs in the offensive zone, like doing all the things you want to see a player do. And then of course he feathers a pass into the neutral zone and, Gives up the game, game winning goal. Yes, he feathered and passed into the neutral zone that was intercepted by the reigning Norris Trophy <laughs> right, winner, right. Adam Fox. So, not like you're throwing it at a fourth liner or third pairing right. defenseman. You're, you're throwing it at the best defenseman in the NHL last season, um, and, and you saw the play that resulted uh, from that. Uh, a great, uh, a great counterattack uh, by the Rangers to, to score the game winning goal. But when you look at these past few games, the Winnipeg game, the Minnesota game, and the San Jose game, um, they are starting to score, which is good. Um, you mentioned the power play, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, like I said, I, it's encouraging that the offense seems to be catching up 
um, to the play of the defense. Now, the, the defense against Winnipeg was was uh, lackluster. A lot of a lot of wide open Winnipeg Jets in front of the net. You know, there's only so much UC Soros can do when there's nobody protecting him. Um, but I thought they they started the game strong in, in Minnesota, and I think that's um, I think that's also important too. Like, um, so you look at the standings right now, and there are a lot of teams at the top of the standings that probably shouldn't be there. Then there are teams at the bottom of the standings that probably shouldn't be there. Uh, you know, in terms of teams at the top, you know, Buffalo is having a great start to the season. Um, there are, there are four undefeated teams left in the NHL, Florida, which I guess you could say you could have expected St. Louis, maybe Carolina shore and Edmonton. Um, but then you look back at the bottom of the standings, you see Colorado is two and four Vegas is two and four Toronto is two, four and one. And the reason I bring this up is because John Hines, I asked John Hines about this before the game on Tuesday. And I asked him if those, if those starts are more pronounced this season than they've been in previous years in terms of bad teams starting off well, good teams struggling. And he, and he said, but when you, when you look at, when you look at preseason predictions and people make preseason predictions, one thing that they don't take into account, you know, is how well a team is coming together. That that's not something that can be factored into you know, who's going to finish first, who's going to finish last. And, and he said that the teams that, you know, are, are quick to come together and play to their identity are the ones that start off well. And the Predators record is three and four, which is about what we expected. But the fact that they were able to rebound from a big loss on Saturday and play a strong game on Sunday and then win again on Tuesday would suggest that, you know, to John's point, that the, the, the team is, is coming together and, and gelling pretty quickly. So, you know, I, I think there, is, there are reasons to be encouraged by what we've seen, even, you know, even in the loss to Winnipeg from an offensive standpoint, but then just the response to those two games by beating Minnesota and San Jose, both of which, by the way, were undefeated um, before, uh, you know, before they faced the Predators. I believe both teams were 4-0. Um, before they played the Predators. So, you know, to beat two teams that are off to great starts, you know, I think speaks to the fact that the, the Predators seem to be clicking um, in a lot of different areas. And I think what you're talking about is this this sort of how does a team grow together, especially with a lot of young players. I mean, that's what Predators fans, if you are, not many were, but if you were a Preds fan picking them to make the playoffs and be above 500 and, and have more than 90 points, that's what you were banking on, right? Is John Hines developing young guys and all the the things working and kind of coming together, playing high level Preds defense like we're accustomed to seeing from this franchise and UC Soros being exceptional. And so we've seen uh, we've seen some of that. We just need that one extra kick because there. I, I don't think, and this is we're going to have a longer conversation today about sort of expected goals and can you sustain scoring chances? Can you learn how to finish? We're going to have a conversation about that. But if you are not a team. That, that has that particular level of skill, which the Preds are not, right? They're not a team loaded with guys who just finish naturally. You need something to put you over the top on offense. And that something could be a pretty dynamic power play if you can maintain it throughout the course of a season. 
And as of right now, after scoring another power play goal on Tuesday to give them an early lead, which is how they won both those games against two, like you said, first place ish type teams in Minnesota and San Jose, they are now seven of 22 on the power play 31%, which would be fifth in the NHL. And they've scored the second most power play goals of anybody in the league. They're not only a top 10 power play right now, albeit very early, they are a top five power play right now, Adam. So you need to start changing your social media strategies. Hmm. So I think we need to fill some people in. First of all, I just pulled up the power play percentages for the season and the Edmonton Oilers are clicking at 47.1% on the power play. That's insane. In five games. Um, Anyway, so yes, the Predators are fourth as we record this on Wednesday morning um, on the power play at 31.8%. The three teams in front of them, Edmonton at 47.1%. St. Louis at 37.5 and Philadelphia at 36.4. Um, so last year I uh, promised our friend Joe Rexroad that if the Predators power play entered the top 10, that I would retire my, oh my God, the Predators scored a power play goal, Simpsons, Springfield, Isotopes, GIF. And you pointed out on Twitter the other day that the Predators indeed have a top 10 power play. And then it got into a discussion if at the time six games was a large enough sample size. And I think I've come up with a solution that works for everybody. So here's, here's my solution. As long as the predators are a top (laughs) 10 power play, I will not use the gift. They scored a power play goal last night by Matt Duchesne. I did not use the gift. I I think this is exactly right. I think you're right. If at any point during the season, it slips out of the top 10. I can use it again. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. So as long as they're in the top 10, it won't be used. <laughs> but if they slump and they drop to 13th, I, I'm going to start using it again. So it's oh, basically anytime they're in the top 10, I have to stop using it. Anytime they're okay. under the top 10, I can use it. I, I do feel like, though, that if they like drop down to like 12th and they finish like 12th for the season and they sort of hover between like 11 and 14. That is still a significant and dramatic improvement. And when was the last time that the Predators' power play was that good? That, that's over what the I'm saying. Of a full season. That's what I'm saying. And and to me, that would still be a sign that John Hines has done his job, that the players have done their job, and that the power play is vastly improved. So I don't know. I, I see. I like your idea of of only using it when they're in, you know, outside of the top ten. I do think we could probably make a, a little bit of some gray area as the season goes along. If they're an upper half power play unit, that is considered marked improvement in my book. Okay. We we can we can reevaluate. Okay. You know, and, and the interesting thing about the power play, John Hines had a very detailed answer about it on Tuesday morning. But you know, to boil it down to its essence, he said that the power play is unpredictable to the opponent, but it's predictable to us. And, and that's what's important the one thing about the predators power play and there's another simpsons related gif i used to use of the of the soccer team passing the ball around the perimeter i haven't used that in a long time i used that a lot uh when peter was here because the power play that's basically what the power play was it's work the puck to the point have roman yossi or pk suban or ryan ellis shoot a shoot a puck from the point hope for second chance opportunities and you know a lot of the power play was spent just passing it around the top of the zone and maybe only getting a couple shots off. Um, but now the power play, it does feel unpredictable. It, it feels like the opponent, I, I feel like before the power play, the opponent knew what to do, you know, the, and, and that's part of the pre-scouting process. But it felt like 
there wasn't a lot of adjustments that opposing penalty kills had to make. It's like, okay, we know what's going to happen. So just, you know, stand here and you'll be fine. Um, but now, <laughs> but now, you know, you know, the way they enter the zone is different every time. The way they move the puck around seems to be different every time. You know, I, you know, it's good. It's, it's really good just because the power play, you know, has been, you know, a, a thorn in the predator side for, for several years. I mean, go back to the series against Dallas in the 2019 playoffs when they did not score a single power play goal. And then Pierre Laviolette in perhaps his most open moment as Predators head coach spent like six minutes after the season explaining everything that went wrong with the power play. Um, Basically, I have no answers would have sufficed. Yes. Um, but, you know, when when I think Matt Duchesne said it last night or, you know, or Tuesday night, rather, as we recorded this on Wednesday morning, that the, 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 play, the, the top power play unit, you know, Roman Yossi, Duchesne, Ryan Johansson, Philip Forsberg, and Mikhail Granlund. You know, they're they're not just top offensive players. They're also leaders on the team. And, and Matt said that as those leader, as leaders, they feel as if though there's a, you know, a certain responsibility that they have to have um, in terms of leading the charge on special teams. And I, and I think you're starting to see that. I mean, I haven't done like an extensive breakdown of it or, or, or looked at specific things, but you can just tell you know, from the eye test that it looks a lot cleaner. It looks a lot more, uh, it looks a lot less static, you know, guys not just standing around getting to their spots and and waiting for the puck to come to them. Um, so it's good. You know, like I said, you know, the likelihood of them sticking at more than 30% is is low. You know, Edmonton will drop from 47.1% at some point. Um, even though they do have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl on their power play. Um, but, you know, it, 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 it is a good sign um, that it finally feels that after years of, of, <laughs> of dealing with these issues, they finally seem to have uh, figured it out. And and Ellie Tolvin and not really being a factor in, in all of this. Like you're talking about, it's the big guys doing it, and we're going to get to that conversation next. But Tolvin, and of course, who had, who had the, the scary head injury, it looked like on Sunday, good to see him back in the lineup on Tuesday. You know, the reason that power play had such a nice surge last season was almost exclusively because Tolvanen was just throwing snipes at everybody from right. the top of the circle. And so now there's a there's a time where he's actually going to come back into the into the unit. And well, I mean, he's on the team. I just mean he's going to start scoring. And when he does, that's going to make this unit even better. I, I don't think fifth is sustainable or expected for this team. Again, I think if they finish 11th or 12th in that range, uh, which is, I think, very possible then I think that would be considered a huge sign of progress for this franchise. And, and it, it, it could be. The I would go, of, I would go even lower. I would just say if they finish in the 18th? top half of the top half of okay. the, they can and, finish like 16th or better. You know, I, I you know, take it. I'll take it. Well, and how many wins does that translate? Like if you're 26th versus 14th in the league, I mean, is that one power play goal per week, two per week? Does that allow you to win one extra game every two weeks? Like that could be the difference between challenging for a playoff spot and not, especially on a team that has a good goaltender, plays good defense and doesn't particularly score a ton. So I think if you just go back to what we were talking about back in 2019, I I can't remember what the Predators were. Oh, for 13, oh, for 14, something along those lines. It was bad. Imagine, like think about... Think about those. I think, I mean, even think about the deciding game in game six 
um, which ended in overtime. Um, they had a lot of opportunities to score on the power play and think about what would have happened yeah. if the Predators would have scored one of those power play goals, you know, and, and forced a game seven in the series or something like that. Like yeah. the fact that the power play did not score is what, you know, what led to them losing. I mean, among other things, but you know, it was a significant issue. Yeah. So yeah. yes, yeah. I mean, having a, having a respectable power play can absolutely make the difference between yeah being uh, being a, a team in the thick of a playoff race and being irrelevant. So part of that is the stars and Matt Duchesne. We talked about this last week, playing 19 minutes, leading all forwards in ice time. Uh, Mikhail Granlin gets the uh, like 200 foot empty netter, which is always, uh, I always like watching that, but he's got six points. Roman Yossi now has nine points in seven games, two assists on, uh, on Sun on a uh, Tuesday at four points on Sunday, that this you know the stars are producing the way the stars need to. We'll start with Duchesne because he's always going to get get the first question about everything. Um, it, you know he he comes into the zone and and just like there there are moments when you see Matt Duchesne and the other one was the between the legs sort of off the crossbar which wasn't a goal where against he, Los Angeles where he, he did a sick dangle and he went <laughs> right around. Um, but there there are moments what's so frustrating with him and I. Largely, this conversation will be positive about his play, so I don't want to make it negative. But there are moments where you just he does something and you just go, nope, nope, nobody else can do that. It's like Tolvin and shot. You just see something and you go, that that you're the only guy that can do that. Maybe Forsberg can do that. Maybe Yossi can do that. He comes into the zone, just a couple of strides into the zone, takes a pass from Yossi and just buries it. And you're going, where where's that? Where where's that been the last couple of years? He has five points through seven games, he had 13 points all of last season. He's almost halfway to his point total. So clearly he's doing something right. When you look at the goal he scored against San Jose, he had a a clean, controlled zone entry on the power play, you know, picked his spot and scored. And when Matt was scoring 30 goals and had 70 points in his contract year, you know, that's, that's what he was doing. You know, he has the ability to do that. We just haven't really seen it all that much. And you, you referenced the play he made against the Kings where, you know, he he drove hard to the net, put the puck through his legs, you know, took a sharp angle shot that that hit the crossbar. It would have been a, an absolute highlight real goal if he would have finished it. But, you know, it, Matt, Matt, to me, appears more engaged this season on the ice than he did at any point last year. And, you know, I think back to a play that he didn't make late last season in the game against Columbus. It was, it was like early May. The Predators had a 2-1 lead in the third, excuse me, late in the second period against Columbus on the road. And the Blue Jackets dumped the puck into the zone. Duchesne goes back to get it, misplays the puck along the boards. Um, the puck gets worked around to Oliver Bjorkstrand at near the top of the right circle. Matt Duchesne is caught flat-footed below that circle and, and doesn't and doesn't seem to, to give it his all to close the gap between, between himself and Bjorkstrand. The, pre, the, the Blue Jackets score. The game is tied, goes into goes gets tied going into the set the third period, and Duchesne takes three shifts the rest of the game in a tie game late last season when the Predators need every point they can get. And you know, the conversation that we've had a lot, and I think this play sort of typifies it, the one I just described, is, you know, was, was Matt Duchesne fully committed 
to John Hines's vision for the team. And Eden, we, we talked about at the end of last season, his end of season uh, interview where we felt like he was passing the buck a lot um, in terms of his struggles, which did not, I, I, I did not reflect well on him for to a lot of fans. Um, but I, I think you're seeing a, a more, like I said, engaged Matt Duchesne. I think part of it is that he's been given the opportunity to play on the line with Forsberg and Johansson or Forsberg and Grandland. Um, he, he's getting, you know, the power play time. Um, he's making plays. Um, so like it's, it's encouraging as well um, because the Matthew Shane we saw last season was just a, a, a shell uh, of himself. And, you know, even if you go back even further to, you know, most of his first season, yeah. he wasn't, he wasn't spectacular either. And we've, we've acknowledged that some of it has to do with poor luck, shooting luck, but you know, was his, was his all around game, was his all around game up to snuff uh, for John Hines? Was he doing other things away from the puck um, that, that John Hines expects of his players. And I, I think you're seeing that more this season. Is it perfect? No, it's not. There are still some lapses as there are with any player, but you know, I, I've noticed Matt Shane. I feel like I, I can say pretty yep. confidently yep. that I've noticed Matt Shane on the ice more through seven games this season. I think I did at any point last year. The, the, there is a burst that, that you didn't see last year. Uh, like an intensity with, with and a purpose with which he is skating. Now, uh, this also goes to to Roman Yossi and UC Saros, who are just off the charts. Mikhail Granlin, those are three of the most dependable players that are going to have to be great this season for the Preds to make the playoffs. The, the question is for all of these guys, including Duchesne, is it sustainable? Uh, you know, y- Yossi putting up 85 or 90 points, I, that's not out of the question. I, I, you know, I don't think that's a, an insane thing to think. I think Yossi could be a point per game player. Just like Forsberg probably should be a point per game player. The, the question is, is it sustainable for all these guys? I think UC Saros can do it for 55 games and we'll get to having Connor Ingram be a valuable commodity. I think that that potentially could change the dynamic of the goaltending situation as well. So I, I don't know. Is it sustainable what you're seeing from Roman Yossi, UC Saros, Matt Duchesne, Mikhail Granlin? the guys we knew had to produce for this team to be good. You know, I, I think in, 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 I think in, in some cases, yes. Um, you know, with Roman Yossi, you know, I made the joke, I think it was during the Rangers game that Roman Yossi is 2007 NBA finals, LeBron James. And some of our listeners may not be basketball fans. Um, so basically in, in 2007, the Cleveland Cavaliers Face the San Antonio Spurs in the NBA Finals, and this was the Spurs at the height of their of their powers with Tim Duncan and Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili and the like. This was very young LeBron James early in his career, and he dragged this terrible team into the NBA Finals. They weren't terrible; they actually won fifty games in the regular season. But I'm looking at their roster; it's like oh, LeBron yeah. James and like Zadrunas Algauskas. And Anderson Verjao and Eric <laughs> Snow and Drew Gooden, like serviceable players. Sideshow Bob. Sideshow Bob was on yes. that team. Verizal. Yes, Anderson Verjao. Yes. <laughs> you look at like serviceable players, but certainly not NBA final quality. And there's a reason they got swept in those NBA finals by the San Antonio Spurs. And, you know, Roman, who, by the way, leads NHL defenseman with nine points in seven games after his four point game against Minnesota. And uh, another two assists against the Sharks. Um, 
we, we saw it when he won the Norris Trophy, how he could basically carry this team on his back, figuratively. Um, so No, I think everybody listening assumed you meant literally. I think, well, I think everybody thought you meant like all, all 22 players on his back. Actually. Well, you know, he, you know, there's what, what can't Roman do? I mean, it must suck to be Roman Yossi. He's a multimillionaire (laughs) who's very handsome and great at hockey. And and a good dude, like, and and, and a nice guy. Yeah. And he's, he's, you know what? He's worthy of all those handsome, good looks and, and, uh, puck handling and skating skills like he's worthy of the con he's worthy of all of it he deserves yes yes so asshole (laughs) guys why can't give us a break yes share 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 some of that genetics share those genetics you jerk (laughs) anyway point being that you know roman you know we 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 saw it again against the, the sharks you know he had some excellent passes um and, you know, I, I'm confident that that Roman can play like that because we've seen it over the course of a full season, not too long ago. And he won the Norris Trophy yeah, because yeah, of it. Yeah. Um, you know, Sor- Grant- Soros, Soros. Is Sor- Sor- yeah. So Soros, if you look at his it, I, I have money puck up here right now. And if you look at his fancy stats, I'll, I'll limit it to five on five. So, according, you know, according to money puck. He's allowed 11 goals at five on five on 10.7 expected goals against. So right around, you know, he's playing basically how he should be, you know, his goals against at five on five, according to money puck is 2.27. His expected goals against is 2.21. So he's been a very, very slightly worse than expected, but basically on par with what is what of what, is expected of him based on the analytics. You know, the difference of course, last year is he was head and shoulders above, right. You know, above that, you know, I'm looking, I just pulled it up. His numbers from last year. I have five on five. He saved 20.2 goals above expected. His goals against at five on five was 1.7. His expected goals against was 2.41. So his goals against, better than expected was 0.71. So he saved more than half a goal, more than he should have been, you know, over the course of a season. And that, and we, you know, we know the difference that UC made in this team yeah, making yeah. the playoffs. So, you know, I, I think, think it's about, I think it's about to your point. I think it's about right. And I think you can expect it to be about this level. I, I don't think you need to expect last year's levels. No, because it's very, it'd be very hard for right, any goalie right. to, to play the way that he did last season um it, it's just you know not to say that he can't do it it's just you know i'm looking so uc soros last year led the nhl in goal yeah. save above expected at that 20.2 second place was connor hellebuck at 18.9 this is at five on five. Third was andre vasilevsky at 13.3 it goes it so, goes down it goes down quickly yeah yes i mean keep in mind that andre vasilevsky Won the Vezina Trophy. No, sorry, he did not. Mark Andre Fleury won the Vezina right. Trophy. He was twelve point two. Vasilevsky, of course, a, you know, an elite goaltender, we, helping the Lightning win championships. And over the course of a, a full a fifty six game season, UC Saros played significantly better than Vasilevsky, according to that metric. We we will get to the Chicago Blackhawks uh, in, in just a few. We minutes. will touch on that. Yes, yeah, we, we'll but, get to the we'll get to the sellout the, streak. The, yes. we'll get to all that stuff. The point about to finish up on UC. 
you know, like you said, I, I, you know, the analytics suggest that how he has played so far this season is basically how those numbers expect him to play. Like, I do not think he's been, he, he hasn't been, he's been good. He hasn't been second half of last season. Good. But I don't think anybody expected him to, to sustain that over the course of a full season, but we know that he has it in him to do that. You know, I haven't looked at any of these games and said, man, you see, you see sucked tonight. Right. You know, right. even the game against Winnipeg, he gave up six goals, but like I said, you know, his defense hung him out to dry on more than one occasion. So I don't think you can blame UC for that. But yeah, we will get to sort of the, the, the amount of chances this team is creating. Can that is that something that you can develop finishing ability? We're going to touch on that. We're going to touch on the younger players, Philip Tomasino, some of these other guys, Yakov Trenens, uh, Tanner Janot, some of these younger guys. We'll talk about the sellout streak, the Blackhawks, all of that stuff coming up in just a few minutes on the show. However, before we go to break, um, <clears throat> I do want to ask you, Connor Ingram getting called up to, to get the start uh, over the weekend. Is, is, is there a developing story here that you'd feel more comfortable about this goaltending situation if, in fact, it's Connor Ingram that's the full-time backup? Does that make you feel more comfortable? Because that means he's, A, developed far enough into like realizing his potential, or, or is that a sign of, of lack of depth for the, the goaltending situation? What, what, how do you view that? Well, as our listeners know, the reason Connor is up is because David Riddick is in COVID-19 protocol. Um, and I'm not sure how much longer David Riddick will be in COVID-19 protocol, but if, if he were healthy, it would have been Riddick starting against Minnesota, not Ingram. Um, but you know, it, it does pose an interesting situation. There are certain rules about waiver eligibility. Like if a, if a player gets, if a player clears waivers, and gets called up shortly thereafter. I think there's like a window of time that if, as long as they're not on that, they don't exceed that window of time. I don't know if it's like 30 days or something like that. Um, then they can be sent down without having to go through waivers. Um, uh, you know, someone's going to look at the CBA and correct me. And by the way, he, he first ever, well, second ever predator goaltender to make his debut and get a win. The other one, of course, Pecorine. Pecorine. So, so um, look, it's a great story. Um, everybody is very happy for Connor. Of course, spent most of last season in the player assistance program. Um, as he tweeted, it was nine months to the day that he entered the program, that he he earned his first start and earned his first win. You know, I, I think if Connor would not have been unavailable for most of last season, I think the Predators might have gone into the season with Connor as their backup. Um, but since Connor basically lost a season, you know, it made sense to have someone more experienced behind UC Soros. And I have to imagine that when Riddick is ready, he'll reassume his role. But, sure. uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, it's 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 great. You know, it, you know, I thought Connor played really well on on Sunday. Yeah. Um, and, and look, he has the pedigree. He was excellent two seasons ago with the Milwaukee Admirals. You know, he was an all star. You know, he and Troy Grosnick. You know, we're, you know, we're a major reason that the Admirals had the best record in the AHL before the before the pandemic shut things down. Um, so, you know, we know that he's a good goaltender and it was good. To, it was good to see him get uh, an opportunity at the NHL level and take advantage of it. Yeah. And the nine months to the day thing, I don't believe in a whole lot of like, you know, otherworldly uh, forces. But that's one of those things where you just go that that sounds right. That that's pretty cool. Um, so, uh, all right. I uh, just wanted to touch on that. Uh, I want to get into finishing 
Uh, and if this team can learn how to finish, they are not necessarily great at finishing right now. We'll get into sort of expected opportunities. And is, is that something that you can develop or is that just something you're born with? We'll get into the sellout streak. Uh, we'll get into Tomasino and some other young players uh, as far as learning and, and what they're doing in real time during NHL games instead of being on the bench or in Milwaukee. Uh, and of course, we'll get to the Chicago Blackhawks as well. All of that when we come back right here on the Gold Standard. The gold standard, Adam Vingan of The Athletic, Pay for Good Journalism, is brought to you by the wonderful folks at... Jaspers. It's everywhere you want to be. <laughs> or or it's the only place you want to be. How about that? That is true. Jaspers, the only place you want to be. The only place that sells a gold standard cocktail named after this podcast. And, mm -hmm. oh, by the mm -hmm. way, if you are watching uh, a Preds game home or away and you do it at jasper's you get great specials i looked at the smash burger because you asked you asked questions about the smash burger i had no answers for last week um i've seen this the smash burger now and it is two giant patties of deliciousness and you can get three dollar ice chest favorites which are domestic so you can get three dollar beers and a ten dollar smash burger uh, all during home and road playoff games doesn't cost you anything to park you can walk right in, get a couple beers and a burger for like 16 bucks and get out of there. It's my daughter loves it. And if my daughter signs off on it, then, you know, it's, it's gotta be great. So the smash burger, it, it's like an elevated Big Mac. <laughs> That's exactly it, right. It, it's two beef patties, American cheese, dill pickles, onions, yellow mustard on a brioche bun with some excellent wedge fries and the ice chest favorites to be specific. Budweiser, Bud Light, Coors Banquet, Miller Light, PBR, Bush, Heineken, and Miller High Life Pony. If you had to drink any of those beers, which one would it be? Zero, none of them. No, you have to pick one. I don't know. I, I guess to... Miller High Life, my, baby. Give me the High Life. I was going to say, I guess because of my whole aesthetic, it'd probably have to be PBR, right? P PBR, I drank a lot of PBR um, when I was 23 and 24 and 25 years old. Uh, I drank a lot of High Life. Uh, you know, I don't mind the banquet. The banquet's pretty solid, too. Uh, what is High Life Pony? Why is it I don't, Pony? I, don't, I actually don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's a rebrand or whatever. Uh, but either way, $3 for a beer at a, at a nice restaurant where you get to watch the Preds game, that's a that's a pretty damn good deal. Yeah, since I mean, a smash bear, like if you, you know, you can, if you want to taste what it would, if you want to, if you want to know what it would be like if a top, if a top end chef made a Big Mac of his or her, of his or her own making. Right. That is, this is what the smash burger is. And it it's still it looks delicious. I mean, their their burgers are great. I have not had the smash burger yet, but uh, you know it's on it's on the list. But I've had their burger many times, and I know it's good. So this and, can be good. And my daughter is at five years old already a burger snob connoisseur. She asked for burgers for her birthday. When when we're like, hey, what do you want to do on Friday night? Or hey, I was taking her to a concert. What do you want? I, you can go any. You can have anything you want. You know, kids choose all kinds of things: pizza, hot dogs, whatever. I said you can have anything you want. She all one hundred percent of the time will tell me burgers and fries, Dad. And and she has very high standards. And we went into Jasper's. We had some burgers and fries. Watched the Preds. Went to a concert afterward. She was a rock star. Oh, by the way, also shuffleboard i could not believe this it's the first time she's ever played shuffleboard which is my favorite bar game which they have at jasper's mm -hmm. we're now looking into seeing if we can get one for our house <laughs> they're not cheap by the way um she's up there like calling her shot she's like dad i'm gonna throw this one in between that one and that one and then would do it i'm like how how are you already better at bar games than i am 
and you're five years old. It's she was just she had a blast. So thanks, Jaspers. You made my daughter's Saturday evening birthday celebration a wonderful one. And the parking was free. So there you go. Yes, as we've discussed, when I think shuffleboard, I think the game I used to play with my grandma's friends in in Fort Lauderdale um, with, you know, the old people game, not the elevated bar game. Um, have you ever it, have you ever actually played the game? The one I'm talking about, not the one. Yes, I have. But I prefer the other one. Oh, come on. Stop. It's it. much more relaxing. There's also a Pac-Man game in there, I think, too. On our yes, we talked about had- this. I, I think that the you know, with all of the funds that that Jasper's will earn from Predators fans coming to game, <laughs> coming to games and drinking three dollar beers and eating ten dollar burgers, because they're so good and it's such a great deal that they're going to buy a skee ball machine just for me. I'm with you on the skee-ball machine. They did have a life-size Connect Four, you know, those big ones. I do like those, too. Marin was playing that, too. So uh, the whole the whole evening was wonderful and great, and uh, definitely Marin approved. So go to Jasper's, especially during Preds games. You get great specials. It's the next evolution of the sports bar. And order yourself a gold standard cocktail after this podcast. Post it on the Twitters and uh, tag Jasper's, tag us, and say, hey, this Jasper's place is pretty cool. Go to Jasper's. Yes. Uh, please do indeed tag us we did get a tag over the weekend i think from from devoted listener boyd yeah uh he he tweeted at us from jaspers from the bar it looked like um so in your voice (laughs) yes well you know i think i think sometimes most people confuse my voice with steve's voice i think steve does a more i steve has yeah there's there's two voices though there's there's adam vingan's voice which is jaspers and then there's what? and, and then and then there's the other Adam Vingan voice voice that you do that's like making fun of fans where you're like Jasper's has the best burger of all time. So like it's one of those two voices. I don't know which one it is. So well, I, the voice which we haven't done in a while, which we will do later in the show. Oh, okay. Um, is you know it hasn't you know that's one thing. But the first one you were clearly making fun of my actual speaking voice. <laughs> no, I would never do that. Yeah. So go to Jasper's where people will where you can go with people that won't make fun of the way you talk. <laughs> All right, Adam, let's get into finishing as a skill that the National Predators may or may not have. And I, I've noticed this a lot and you talked about it last week on the on the show. And there are some metrics to, to back up this stuff where it comes to high danger chances and expected goal opportunities and goals scored and all that stuff. I, I, the, the first philosophical question is, is finishing just a thing you have because you just are talented enough to, to do it? Matt Duchesne, Forsberg, Johansson, Tolvanen. Or, or is it something that you can simply be unlucky with? Because Yakov Trenin, I think, is third on the team in what, what what was Yakov Trent? He's he's third on the team in like uh, in like. So I'm looking at money. I'm looking at money puck, which I which I was referencing earlier, and at five on five. So expected goals, basically. You know, if you if you are a soccer fan, you should listen to the Club and Country podcast. If you are nice. on the 440 Sports Network, um, if you're a soccer fan, you know you you might have heard of expected goals, which is basically an algorithm for determining based on. You know, shot location, shot type, um, you know, what the likelihood of a goal being scored from, you know, from that area, you know, what's what's the percentage chance of of a goal being scored from that area? 
Um, now there are some, you know, there are more advanced models, which actually take into account the player shooting the puck, because for example, you know, if you were to put Austin Matthews on a spot versus putting Yakov Trenin on the spot, <laughs> Ma- Austin Matthews can score goals that Yakov Trenin can't right. because Austin Matthews is an elite scorer. I mean, Yakov Trenin had a fabulous opportunity on a, on a three on one, I think against the sharks and rang it off the post. He's, Uh, he's had so many opportunities. He's had, he's had, he's had multiple breakaways. Um, He, he has been very active. So if you're looking at expected goals at five on five, the three leaders so far this season, Tanner Janot is number one at 1.9. Duchesne is second at 1.5 and Trenton is fourth at 1.4. So those are the three players who, according to money pucks model, have had the best chances to score. And, and Janot has two goals on 1.9 expected goals. So he's basically scoring what he should. Matt Duchesne had, and, and, and Trident have not scored at five on five, um, despite having 1.5 and 1.4 expected goals, respectively. Um, so, you know, to me, like, this is a good question for like a skills coach because, you know, there are a lot of things like you can, you can, you know, you think we made a reference to basketball. I mean, you can, you know, you can sit on the free throw line as a basketball player after practice and shoot a hundred free throws and, and learns how to become a better free throw shooter, mostly because it's the same, it's the same act as in the game. So if you're standing, if you're standing in the gym alone, shooting free throws and you're in a game, you're shooting free throws. It's the same situation. I mean, the environment is different, but but, it's but the, the same motion. But the amount of improvement is still fairly marginal. Like a 62% free throw shooter can't all of a sudden become a 92% free throw shooter. You might be you might be able to go from 62 to 70. By, right. By a, but I, but I think what my point is that like it's hard to rep. Like you can you can go to practice, you can go to you can be a hockey player and you can put up the, you know, you you can pick corners in practice and you can work on on aiming your shots. But it's you know, you're but you're not taking into account the other forces that happen in a game, you know, whether you're on the rush or whether, you know, you have a defender in your face, you know, things of that nature. So, uh, I mean, I think, I mean, I think a lot of finishing talent is natural. Like I think, you know, you can, it can certainly be refined, but I don't think if you can necessarily, like if you're not a player who has finishing talent, I don't think it's something that you can gain a lot of. Now, now I, I think you're right, but that's my complete. That's that. That's like my novice take. Because no, you know, no, no, I'm no. Not I, a hockey player or a skills coach or anything like that. I, I think there's a. I think there's a marginal amount of improvement that you can do. Now, I think that great finishers in the NHL are just great finishers, and we all know who they are, right? right. It's 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 Matthews and Ovechkin. Yeah, yeah, we, we know who they are. Yes, and I think that is just God given pure talent. The guys that can put up 120 points. I do think though that younger players who are in their let's say first full season 82 game season right like they're like maybe their second full season whatever you want to call it for some of these guys i do think that there is going to be improvement because this was what ekholm said a couple of days ago right and i think you put it in your story on the athletic that just we're getting chances the chances are there we've got to learn how to finish and my question and, and the question is can you learn how to finish if you don't have that skill I think some of these younger guys, Janot has some of that skill. I think he's going to get better. And like you said, he's 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 creating chances and finishing them, at least at the same rate right now. 
Yakov Trenin, I think, will learn to finish slightly better. Do I ever think he's going to be a 25-goal scorer who can shoot like Ellie Tolvanen? Of course not. But I, I do think that you can improve marginally if you are a young player who just keeps busting their ass. And so I do think we can expect to see more from, from, from Trenin because he's had so many opportunities and he's getting to all the right places. He's just not finishing. So, uh, again, that could also be the difference in the Predators being a playoff team and not a playoff team is do these guys – develop into more consistent finishers. I'm not expecting them to be Ovechkin, but just more consistent. Right. And I mean, you know, Trenton has had multiple opportunities for, um, has had multiple opportunities um, to score. I mean, to score, he had, you know, had a couple breakaways. He had a great chance against the Sharks. It just hasn't happened yet. And like, I think Philip Tomasino had a, a, a semi breakaway um, against yeah, the Sharks yeah, yeah. and wasn't able to finish. And, and look, that's something that, you know, I mean, I think it's possible to learn. You know, I think it's it's not a skill that it's not like if you don't have it, you'll never get it. But I do think that a lot of it is natural. Like that, like Ellie Tolvanen, you know, that his his shot, I think, is, is God like, given. It's God given ability. It's not, you know, he didn't necessarily, I mean, he could learn to refine it. But I think that just comes from from natural talent, and you know, th- you think of some of the goals that Ellie Tolvanen has scored, you know, in his time in the in the NHL. You know, I think of a goal he scored in the game against Tampa late last season, or in the middle of last season, where he was coming down the the left wing boards. It was like a sharp angle shot, yeah, um, and, and you know, just blew by. You know, I, I think it was probably Curtis McElhaney. I think, I think it was I the know, backup, but, yeah, yeah, it was McElhaney. I think, like. Like that's not a goal that a lot of people can score. We talked about how um, expected goals don't necessarily factor in like who is shooting the puck. Like, but you know, uh, Colton Sissons isn't scoring that goal. Um, <laughs> don't talk about my boy, okay? So no, I, I like you know you know I like Colton, but he's not scoring. He's not scoring that goal. What about um, Luke? What about Luke Cunning? Where does he fall in this kind of, in this conversation? I mean, I think Luke, you know, I made the bold prediction at the beginning of the season that Luke was going to lead the team in goal scoring. And I'm off to a rough start because I don't think he scored it. <laughs> no, he hasn't. Um, so um, anyway, uh, you know, I, I mean, he's a young player, too. I think we kind of forget about that sometimes just because he's, you know, he hasn't been, you know, he, you know, because he's been in the league for a few years. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I, you know, I think Luke's Luke's ability is more in front of the net. Um, than it yeah, is yeah. scoring, you know, um, you know, scoring the types of goals that we're talking about. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think this team has lacked, he does not have, you know, you know, we know Forsberg can do it. We know Yossi can do it. We know Duchesne can do it. You know, Ryan Johansson is off to a good start scoring. Yeah. Yep. Um, but I think you know, Tolvin, like, I think Tolvin has got that skill. Right. But it's like, you don't have, you know, like you said, th- those, those types of finishers don't grow on trees and the predators don't have, an Austin Matthews or an Alex Ovechkin no, no. or a Patrick line, a, you know, name your, name your top scorer. Right. You know, they which, don't, they don't have, or Nathan McKinnon, like they don't have that guy. Which leads us to Philip Tomasino, because I do think he's got a lot of that talent in him, not necessarily the same shot and skill as Forsberg or Tolvanen, but there's a reason he's the, the highest level prospect that they've seen in a while uh, outside of Tolvanen really to, to come up and, and to get minutes, and he's starting to play a little bit more consistently. Um, scores that goal against the Rangers, as you talked about. Had a breakaway chance against the Sharks, and I actually think he's looking more and more confident w- when you see him. But part of the reason he's looking more and more confident, Adam, is because he's on the ice. 
<laughs> because he is playing. And I know, listen, I know Tommy Novak's had three assists and he's played fairly well in his call up and he's a young player. Tanner Janot is looking like the piece we all anticipated and were hoping he would be um, scoring goals and sort of dirtying things up and sort of working his way up the lineup. Um, you see the Trenton Sissons line doing, being very active and, and playing critical minutes in the, especially in the defensive zone. So I, the young players, Tomasino in particular, and I know you put this in one of your stories, is that part of the reason we wanted this to be the strategy is that you you have to make the mistake to learn from the mistake. Correct. And and, and that is that is what we're talking about. Sure, you're going to have great moments, but what do you do and how do you handle the bad ones is just as important. And you you know, Cody Glass isn't doing that right now. He's just down there in Milwaukee, hopefully dominating. You know. Yeah, I have not checked how he's been doing in Milwaukee. I haven't either. Um, but yeah, to your point, we remember the goal he scored against the Rangers. And we saw this goal he scored over the weekend. But we talked earlier about the play that he made, the ill-advised play that he made. Um, you know, a perhaps not, you know, a, a ill-advised, like I said, uh, pass into the neutral zone that was picked off by um, Adam Fox, which led to that great rush between... He, Sammy Blay, and Alex Lafreniere. Um, so, uh, and he took he he took blame after the game. He said, "Like that's my fault. You know, I shouldn't have done that." And look, um, that's exactly like we talked about. Like that's exactly what you want. Like, you know, Philip Tomasino isn't going to learn not to do that by not playing. And I, I think, you know, with a player like Philip Tomasino, it's sort of a high risk, high reward situation where, yeah, you're going to get the offense, but you're, you're probably going to see him make a couple of mistakes in a game. And hopefully as his, as he gains experience, those mistakes diminish, but you know, look, like I think it was, a, it was a teachable moment, which is what these young players need. So, you know, I, I think it was a good sort of, you know, I think the game against the Rangers was a good, was a good example of, this is what happens when you put young players in the lineup. And this is why they need to be in the lineup so that they can provide the offense. They can bring that excitement, but they're going to make mistakes and they're going to learn from them. And next time Philip Tomasino tries to break out of the off defensive zone and he looks up and he sees Tommy Novak and at center ice, he's going to yep. go, you know what? I'm yep. not going to make that pass this time. I'm going to, I'm going to take the puck out of the zone and, and make a, a higher percentage pass than a, than a pat the pass that I did that, that lost us the game according to him. Yeah. And that and that's how you get become a better hockey player. <laughs> so um, I, I do think that's it's critical to understand that when you see the young player make the mistake, that's going to happen. It's how does he respond to it? How does he handle it? How does he adjust to it? And by all accounts, Tomasino is fairly mature, hockey IQ mature beyond his years. Like there's yeah. there's no question about that. So I, again, I see him being more and more confident every time I see him play, and that's why I want to see him play more. Like keep keep giving him minutes, keep letting him play. Maybe he needs you know a couple of breaks here or there, give him some, some nights off here or there. But you and I talked before the season that we expected him to go down to Milwaukee for a stretch of time. I'm not sure I'm on that, on that train anymore. Um, I, I might be, I might be leaning towards a couple nights off here or there, but I want to see that confidence continue to grow for him. So um, he's going to be a piece that we always talk about on the show. There's no question about that. And, and it's the same for the other guys, like whether you're talking Novak, Cunning. You know, Janot, Trennan, you know, Carrier maybe is in, in this conversation. Fabro certainly is in this conversation. Like, you just got to let these guys play to, to, to learn from their mistakes and get better. So, um, all right. Anything else you want to add to the young talent 
needs time on ice to play strategy that we've discussed for the better part of four months? No, I think that's uh, <laughs> that's fine. All right. Um, sellout streak. Uh, do you want to do the voice first? Um, well, let's 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 tell everybody what what happened that the Predators 190, 192 games. Yes, I believe that included playoffs. I believe it was their first non-sellout since 2016, um, like the end of the 2015-16 season. Um, and um, the Predator, look, we, we could see it coming. You know, the crowds were not great in the first few games. And, um, you know, I think it was wise of the Predators to acknowledge the fact that the the sellout streak was over. Um, the announced attendance last night was 16,395. Um, the, uh, full, the sellout attendance is 17,159. Uh, don't ask me to do that math, but it's, you know, 700, 800, non, you know, 700 to 800 empty seats. Um, how many empty seats were there actually? <laughs> well, why didn't you do that math while I talk? But you know, the, the, what's interesting is, you know, you tweet that out last night or I tweet that out last night and the amount of, galaxy braining that's going on regarding this uh regarding the sellout streak is just amazing you know you know there are two things that there are two main issues at play one we are still in the midst of a pandemic and the the predators like many teams in the nhl are either requiring you to be fully vaccinated or for you to bring proof of a negative test to enter the building and there are people who think that that's not enough um, to feel comfortable going to games. And then there are people who think that those are draconian policies and how dare the predators <laughs> ask you to do that. So like we talked about last week, we are not going to preach to you about whether or not to get vaccinated. We are both fully vaccinated. I am fully vaccinated and boosted. And I, I think it's the right thing to do, but I'm not going to lecture you if you are not if you are not vaccinated or skeptical about getting vaccinated. I'm not going to lecture you. However, you know that that can is I, can I do that? <laughs> you you can. I, I I will choose not to. I, I'm going to um, lecture you for getting the booster ahead of me. That's what I'm going to lecture you for. Well, you know what? At this point, especially where we live, I don't snuck, think snuck your I, way into that that booster. I don't even. It's anything. not even sneaking in. I I think at this point where we live. I think that if if you are willing to get a booster shot, I don't think someone's going to stop you from getting a booster. All shot. right, well, I'm going to have to go do that then. <laughs> so, um, so, so, so that's number one and two. It's quite frankly, and and there are other mitigating factors. I mean, you know, people have people lost their jobs because of the pandemic. People have less disposable income because of the pandemic. So people can't spend the money to go to games. But it's also a declining product. That's the other thing. And but like the amount of galaxy braining that was happening last night, I don't know how many people said to me, and <clears throat> the reason why there was not a sellout against the Sharks <laughs> on a Tuesday night was because the Braves were playing in the World Series. <laughs> you know what? They the Braves Maybe. were playing in the World Series in the first four games, and the crowds were still pretty bad. No, they, no, 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 they weren't. <laughs> Game one was on Tuesday, but but I, your point is valid. The voice is right. The voice is correct here it's the, the other factor they're not that great at hockey yet like they're they were two and four going into that game and i'm sorry when the season started the season opener i've been to every season opener adam for since i don't god i don't know like since at least the streak started i've been to every season opener and mm -hmm. there was not even close to as many people at the season opener when the record was zero and zero and there were no braves in the world series 
than it, what it normally looks like. They are, the, the mitigating factors aren't the Pred's fault. It's just the where, it's where we live and how we live in this world we're living in right now. But at the same time, the expectations for the team are not high. That's it. When you have a, when you have a questionable product and, a, and health concerns about going into a building, like that's it. It's not more complicated than that. I don't think we need to overthink it. I don't think the Preds need to be ashamed of it. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Frankly, I just, it's something to be proud of. Like if you're a diehard fan, but like, I, I think I read in your story, there were, there were a bunch of season ticket holders that said, no, I'm not coming to games this year. The Predators told no. me, the Predators told me that 200 season ticket accounts, which they said the average, you know, the average uh, account is two and a half tickets. So that's between 500 and 600 actual tickets deferred for this sort of wait and see approach um, to see if, if the restrictions loosen or if they'll feel comfortable going. Um, so there's some of that, but you know, this idea that, you know, first of all, I think just to be clear, the predators are not requiring a vaccine to get into the building. If you are not vaccinated, you can choose to get tested to go to games. But as we discussed, the process of getting tested is very difficult. Uh, yeah. I, I take that. I, I don't think so. There's 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 stops all over town. You can just drive up and get a swab and be done in five minutes. Yeah, I guess that's so, true. But it, gonna, you have I'm to go out back of your, on that one. You have to go out of your way. It, it's there's like one on Charlotte over on Centennial Park. It takes yes. five, it takes ten minutes drive. You know, especially if you work downtown, you could. I, I don't know. I, I I I get it that it's an extra thing you have to do, but it's not the reason. I mean, I think it's part of the reason. It's not the entire reason. So, um, all right. So, um, uh, do you have anything? I mean, like, d- does it? I don't. I don't know what it. I guess again, it's something you're proud of if you're a fan. But I don't think it matters that that much. I mean, if the if if Pittsburgh sellout streak is ending and all these other school, all these other franchises are ending sellout streaks, just it's sort of just where we are right now. So. Right. I mean, we talked about the Blackhawks streak ending. We talked about the Penguin streak ending. It's it's happening. All, my my colleague Sean Shapiro at the Athletic wrote a story about this. It's happening all over the league. Um, so this is not a, a problem that's exclusive to Nashville, but before we go, speaking of the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah, yes. Uh, I love the lead to the story. Uh, this is Mark Lazarus, right? On, on the athletic. Mark Lazarus. Yes. My, on, on my dear athletic. friend. Um, and, and he leads essentially like the, the Nashville predators sweeping the Blackhawks have broken the Chicago Blackhawks permanently. And I've just, I, I don't very often take off my media hat and put on my fan hat, but reading that story with the exception of the, I, I, I like it. I love it. They want some more of it line, which I absolutely despise. Um, other than that, I, I thought it was just such a cathartic, wonderful thing to read about a completely dysfunctional organization that we as Preds fans hate so much that we are responsible for breaking them permanently. And I love it. I, I, I do want some more of it, Adam. It is, it's a great story to read. I had a great time reading it. I got to be a fan again for a few minutes. And uh, I remember game four with like eight minutes to go against Chicago, where they just start playing a little bit louder now from animal house. And it just turned into a frat party for the last 10 minutes of that game four uh, against Chicago. And it's my wife and I were there. It was one of the great, I went as a fan. I didn't go as a media member, and it was one of the great hockey moments I'll ever, I'll ever remember. It was fun, and now to know that they broke the Chicago Blackhawks, even more fun. Well, certainly the the Predators had nothing to do with the Blackhawks employing a video coach that was preying on on minor league players. 
Um, that, but that, that, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I know. I know. I'm, I'm just, yeah, that was, I'll a, take that. that I'll take really that completely. Bad, I'll take that. That was completely. a bad transition, but the point, the point <laughs> yeah, is I'll take that, that out of my, I do not yeah. enjoy that. That is, I, I do not find joy from that. So I'll the take Black that Hawks, uh, released, um, Jenner and block the invent, the independent group that was investigating the Black Hawks, um, released, uh, their report on Tuesday. Um, you know, the, the long and the short of it is, the NHL fines the Blackhawks $2 million um, for their for their inefficient response. Um, GM slash president of hockey operations, Stan Bowman, resigned. Um, Al McIsaac, another member of the front office who had been with the organization for a long time, also uh, resigned. Um, you know, it's, you know, like, look, um, you know, it's never like it's never too late to do the wrong. It's never too late to do the right thing. Um, but, you know, the point that, you know, the, the report is like 100 something pages long. And I would suggest not reading it if you, you know, it's, you know, trigger warning, sexual assault. Let's put it out that way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I, like if don't read it, if you if you don't feel if, you, if the idea of it makes you uncomfortable, do not read it. Um, but. The long and the short of it is that the Blackhawks in 2010, when they won their first Stanley Cup in that in that stretch run, prioritized winning versus doing the right thing, and that's it, it's it's terrible. That's not, that's not a new story in sports, unfortunately. It's, no, it's not. It's absolutely not. Which which is sickening. But you know, to see it written down, you know, in plain English uh, through this extensive report, you know. It, it does. It does make things very. Uh, I, I would like to. I would like to reiterate my entire spiel. There was exclusively about the. Oh, I know. I know. That 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 were documented by Mark Lazarus and his story. Like I just. That's where I found the joy. I have not read the 100 page report. I know about the story. To your point, I don't need to read it. It's disgusting, and you know, people need to people need to be held accountable and. It makes me hate them even more, I guess. I don't, you know, but I was just, I was sort of just referring to the, the, every single offseason maneuver, the coaching decisions, the GM decisions, the, the trades, the free agents, the, the signings, all the things that, that appear to, to, to make this franchise on the ice completely directionless. And it does seem like it traces all the way back to a first place team getting their asses kicked by the Nashville Predators. Yes, it was good. A good time was had by most. So I will, I will play the role of fan in this conversation. You can be the journalist. Okay, but it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's sad that this ha- it came to this. Yeah, I know. but you know, fortunately, it, 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 you know, some justice has been served. Um, I, I will say, and and you probably didn't have to to do this, but ESPN Plus is where I watched the game on Tuesday, right? Because it wasn't. I didn't, I could not find, unless I, unless I missed on where it was available, um, unless I missed on where it was available somewhere else, I, I didn't watch it. Uh, I, I have one thing to say to fans, and this is not just a Preds fan thing. This is a fan problem everywhere. And maybe to your point about the galaxy braining for, for the sellout fans, if you, if you want an objective analysis of your team, come to this podcast, listen to this podcast, follow Adam on Twitter, follow me on Twitter. Uh, we are not here. Our job is not to blow smoke up your ass to make you feel good about a shitty team. And I'm not suggesting that they're bad. I'm just saying that's not our job. The media's job is not to make you feel good about your team and tell you what you want to hear. Okay. So when a national broadcast does a, a, a you know, when, Dave, when, when Bob was choosing 
and Cassie Campbell Pascal are doing a broadcast, they're just calling it how they see it. They, they're not anti-Nashville. They're not anti-Preds. I don't think Bob Wachusen's my first pick for play-by-play, but I thought Cassie did a great job on play-by-play on, on, on the color analyst. I think she's a really good analyst that gets in and out, gives us really good insight, and I, I enjoyed the broadcast. So fans that were like, who are these national honks that don't know anything about the team and they're saying something negative about our team? Like, it happens with Titans fans. You're so stinking sensitive on Twitter. I just don't understand fans that cannot handle reality or objective facts. I, I don't know. I just, it's a trend. I don't know when it started. It bothers me. End of rant. And I think that's a good place to leave it. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know where a, a good place to go to after leaving it? Jaspers. Jaspers. Uh, the gold standard brought to you by Jaspers, of course. Um, free parking, smash burger, $3 beers, all during games, home or road. Go watch the Preds games at Jaspers. It is a great place to watch the game. Uh, Adam Vingen, of course, of The Athletic. You can pay for good journalism there just for a couple bucks a month at The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter, at Adam Vingen. No more Simpsons gifts on the power play, as long as they're in the top 10 at least. That's the rule for now. My name is Braden Gall. Thank you for listening. Please share the show. Tell one person about the product. That is all we ask. And, of course, go to Jasper's and take some photos of your food like all those Instagram weirdos. All right. Thank you guys all for listening. This has been the Gold Standard on the 440 Sports Network.